Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey, and I am sitting down with Patricia Wilkinson, who is a parent coach, mom of two, veteran teacher, and co-author of Brain Stages, How to Raise Smart, Confident Kids and Have Fun Doing It. Few parenting journeys are easy, but besides the regular issues raising children, Trisha's kids had challenges. Through study, interviews with experts, and trial and error, Trish found and created tools for communication and care that helped her kids become their best selves while bringing their family closer. Trisha's tools not only benefited her own kids, but they have also helped hundreds of her students as well as the parents she coaches who have children of all ages. And Trish offers the Brain Stages Parent parent empowerment journey. That's a mouthful for me right now. (laughs) A digital course with a weekly group coaching to anyone who wants to learn her tried and true tools backed by research. After all, kids deserve to grow into the confident, successful humans they were meant to become. I could not agree more. So that is why I'm excited to welcome you, Trish, to the show today. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Sparking Wellness is just that that whole concept is something just, I'm really excited about that. We seem to have a lot in common, Erin. <laughs> yes, yes. We were talking a little bit before we started the recording and I was just sharing a little bit of my background in education specifically with English language learners. And that is something that you also have a background in. And so, yeah, I think we talked for a good 10 or more minutes before we actually pressed record. So we're just going to try to repeat what we already said, right? (laughs) Sounds good to me. Yeah. So let's talk, let's just get into this topic right now about all the stress and anxiety that kids are facing right now, more so than ever before. I mean, I know that's really hard to, to quantify, but I do believe that our kids have challenges. They already had challenges pre pandemic. And then we've gone through the COVID thing and there's just a lot going on for our kids. Can you just talk about what you've seen working with parents and kids and teachers? I'm actually really excited because I'm really hopeful. Kids are getting to go back to school and they haven't been in school for a while. So a lot of parents are worried about how they are, you know, missing some of their schooling and their gaps and their learning because they didn't have as much teaching basically in most places as they did in the last couple of years as they normally get. But the thing that's really exciting is we know scientifically that there are some things that we can do as parents and as educators that reduce, physically reduce kids' stress. For example, um, I'm gonna be doing a five-day challenge for schools soon. And one of the very first day, we're gonna talk about the magic of making sure kids get a big glass of water and they do 10 minutes of exercise in the morning, whether that's jump rope or running around the playground or putting on some dance music for 10 minutes or doing a kickboxing video if they have a multi-purpose room or something and they have the facility for that. Whatever they wanna do for 10 minutes in the morning and getting a big drink of water There are recent studies that have come out. You know, I always did that with the kids in my class and my scores were always at the top and people were like, wow, Trish, you must be such a good teacher. But I really think it was a water and exercise. (laughs) (laughs) And now we know that the studies have come out that it actually causes cell division in the hippocampus, that big glass of water and the exercise in the morning. So the hippocampus in case listeners don't really know what's going on there. It's the big shot in the brain for learning. It's long-term memory. So what happens with movement is a caudate nucleus is right next door to the hippocampus. And the caudate nucleus handles short-term memory and movement. And everything in the brain works together. So we have the caudate nucleus right next to the hippocampus. The caudate nucleus is short-term memory and movement, and it 
moves things from short-term memory to long-term memory in the hippocampus that's already doing cell division and building more from the exercise and the hydration. The thing is whether kids exercise or not, most kids try to go to school and learn and they're dehydrated. It's kind of like riding a bike on a set of flat tires. You can do it, but it doesn't work very well. Whereas if kids have a big glass of water and no juice doesn't count because it's full of sugar and it has, and even if it has pulp in it, it's not enough fiber to time release the amount of sugar that's in the juice. So just a big old glass of water for kids in the morning. If they wake up first in the morning, first thing in the morning and drink a big glass of water, it sets up the brain, you know, fills the brain with what it needs to be able to function and learn. So it gets all the chemicals going. So the combination of water and exercise is super exciting because it gets kids brains ready to learn. And so I'm really excited. I'm gonna do this five-day challenge that has little things like that Monday through Friday for schools and homeschooling parents and whoever wants to do that, um, September 20th to the 24th to set them up for an amazing year. Because so many people are worried about the anxiety with their kids. And if we can set up schools to be a community and we're in this together and we're setting it up so that your brains are at their best and you know, all of that kind of stuff, because so much of life is attitude and so much of anxiety is worrying about what's going to happen. Whereas if we set up kids to feel safe in an environment where they're supported and where we're setting it up, we care about you, we're even going to make sure you get water and exercise so that you are ready to learn. We're boosting their confidence right there. And, that, and there are a lot of studies that show that hydration and exercise also helps with um, anxiety. Another thing parents and educators can do is they can um, do deep breathing with kids, which, you know, people are like, oh, airy fairy, deep breathing, la la la. But the thing is, is see, I know what happens in the brain now <laughs> because I've done all this research. I've studied all of these studies. I've read all of these empirical studies. And it turns out that when we have kids do deep breathing, it actually causes the release of um, happy hormones and it slows down their brain waves and, you know, all the things that need to happen in a healthy way to physically, I mean, kids have power. And if we can teach them that they have the power to manage their anxiety and we can do things as simple as deep breathing with them, that's just huge. That will decrease a lot of the anxiety right there. Yeah. I, this is why I love having people like you on the podcast, because I didn't know that about hydration and movement and even deep breathing, you know, it's like, yeah, we hear about it, but having the actual, like you said, the data that proves it, it's so important. And I think back to my years teaching and even what I know kids are receiving from a lot of kids are getting breakfast at school and I don't see a water bottle there. I see chocolate milk, regular milk, or juice. Is that, that's not, it's not the same thing, huh? No, not the same thing. Actually, chocolate milk and milk are not bad for kids as long as they don't have, you know, milk or, you know, lactose intolerance or something like that. So it's not that milk is bad for them because it has protein and calcium. I mean, there are a lot of good things about milk if they're not sensitive to it. Um, but it's not enough hydration. And juice actually has counter effects because it causes that sugar rush that lasts about 20 minutes and then they crash. So right after they've had breakfast, it's like, okay, they're ready to go. And 20 minutes later, the first part of class, they're already crashing and they, and they can't think. So juice is the, you know, one of the worst things we can give for kids in the morning. And, and anytime, I mean, Soda pop, a lot of sodas have less sugar than a big glass of orange juice mm -hmm. or apple Gatorade. Juice. That's another one I see a lot of kids drinking and it's, oh my gosh. it's worse so, than sodas. Right. So Gatorade was designed in Florida for the Gators, the Florida Gators. It was a football team. So it's actually designed for full grown football players who are playing in the sun for at least an hour and sweating like crazy because they were having problems with heat stroke and stuff with their football players with the college and at the university. So one of their 
um, you know, they had studies and stuff in their science department and one of their PhD fellows or whatever was the one who came up with Gatorade, which is great for sports if your kids are doing at least an hour of sports and sweating their tails off. But other than that, they should never be drinking that stuff at lunch unless they're going to be sweating like crazy because it has it has all kinds of chemicals. It doesn't just have sugar. And, and even the, the ones that don't have sugar, you know, they have sugarless and light and whatever, they have all different kinds now. Um, most of those aren't good for kids either. In fact, if you can get away, if they're only working out for an hour, they're better off just drinking big water bottles, you know, use reusable bottles. That's another thing is the bottles should only be refilled once if you're going to reuse them at all. The ones like you know, the, the ones you buy on the market, various kinds that come in water bottles because those water bottles are designed to decompose. So we don't want kids getting the chemicals of the plastic bottles decomposing. So they really need to have a substantial water bottle if it's gonna be reusable, but then you can just fill it up from the tap. I mean, most tap waters, they may not taste the best, but they're all tested and they're, they're gonna be better for them, you know, even out of the tap and not having fancy filtered water or whatever is still gonna be better for them than, than Gatorade or any of those sports drinks. Sports drinks generally are not good for kids, especially not at lunch. Yeah, yeah, those are really helpful tips, I think for all parents, caretakers, even teachers to hear. And I wanna take a second real fast, thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L. As you may know, the changes in your body postpartum can take a toll on your hair. More than 50% of women experience excessive shedding naturally within three to four months of giving birth. Nutrafol's goal is to empower women to embrace the beauty of their hair growth recovery with Nutrafol postpartum by targeting the root causes of postpartum thinning hair, like the physical stress of childbirth and emotional stress of parenting, as well as nutrient depletion. What I really love is that Nutrafol's powerful ingredients bring the body back into balance. And when that happens, you might also notice improvements to your overall well being, including more restful sleep, less stress, and better skin and nails. I have experienced this myself. I'm really loving the way that I feel on the Nutrafol products. But not only that, I will say I just went and got my hair trimmed and my hairdresser commented that my hair seems thicker than usual and it seems like it has grown more than it usually has in the same time period. And so I definitely am loving Nutrafol for me and so far it's working and I'm gonna stick with it. Now, Nutrafol postpartum is breastfeeding friendly. That's really important to add. And it is OBGYN developed using clinically tested, 100% drug-free natural ingredients that help support whole body recovery and fill nutrition gaps to manage shedding and grow stronger, thicker hair. In three to six months, you'll begin to see and feel results such as thicker, stronger hair that looks healthier. Now, consistency is key. You can grow stronger, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrafol.com and using the promo code SPARK to save $15 off your first month's subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time, plus free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code SPARK. Now, Trish, getting back to these tips that you have for kids' brain health, I'd love to know what other tools in your toolbox, you know, what, what else do you have that can help boost kids' brain power to help them learn better? So, well, one of the things that's great to work on is working memory. So executive function, there are three parts to executive function, but without getting into all of that, <laughs> working memory is like short-term memory. So... And the thing that's awesome about short-term memory, okay, so working memory is short-term memory. And when kids improve their short-term memory, they do better on things like tests. 
because then they remember the procedure that they were supposed to do on their math problem and then what the answer was. And then they can go look at the test and fill in the right bubble. I mean, all of that stuff is working memory, but it's also good when their working memory is the task for be, being able to organize things for how they're gonna do it. Um, it, it helps in their learning. And when their working memory is strong, it helps whatever they learn that goes into short-term memory transition into the hippocampus for long-term memory so they can use whatever they learn for later. Does that make sense? Yes. So, and working memory is so cool because you can improve it 20% in five days, 30% in 10 days, mm -hmm. if you do things consistently. And it's just like games. Like we have this game that I love to play with kids called add a move, where you make a move like clap your hands, and then they make a move, y'all clap your hands and the next person snaps their fingers. And then I'm trying to do things that make noise because we're on a podcast, but it doesn't have to make noise. <laughs> but in doing one move after another where they have to remember one move and then another and then another, it's a really fun game to play. You can play it with your kids in the car and line at the grocery store or um, waiting at the doctor's office. You can play it anywhere because you don't need any materials and you're actually improving their working memory. It also does all kinds of things. I, I, when I do visual presentations, I show on a brain, you know, on a brain diagram, all the different parts of the brain that that silly little game works. But one of the great things it does is it works working memory. And when kids working memory gets better, all learning gets better. Hmm. So um, another game parents can play is clap patterns. Like, and then, the, and then the kids do the same pattern, right? Whatever, I mean, it can be any kind of clap pattern, but the kids just have to remember what that pattern was. And what's even more fun that we call that game, we got the beat. And what's even more fun is using just two fingers and doing it in your hand if you're in public. So it's not loud, but the kids still can hear it and they can repeat it. So you can still play it in public, like, you know, in a doctor's office or in line at the grocery store without disturbing people. And kids love playing games with adults, but the thing they love even more than playing games with adults is playing it sneaky, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in stealth mode. So playing with two fingers is, I mean, it's really fun for kids and then it builds their working memory. So water in the morning, exercise, and um playing little games for working memory. If, if your listeners only remember those three, it would put their kids, their students, whoever's listening, just miles ahead. That is, that is so helpful. And I do, it does make me wonder, cause I, I love how you said kids like playing with adults, you know, like having that one-on-one -on -one interaction time because many adults, especially say we're waiting at the doctor's office, we just stick our face in our phone, right? Or put our kids on an iPad. But when you're playing a game like that, you're engaging with each other, which I think is powerful too, just even for that social, you know, that just that emotional connection and well-being. But what do you think about games on iPads, cell phones, excessive screen time. I'd like to dive a little bit into that. So if people go to my website, thebrainstages.com, they can get a screen time mini course, which is just one video that has all of the science for screen time, what the science says, what we know so far, because here's the thing. Our computers are not going away. We're not gonna light our lights with candles any more than we're getting rid of all of our computers, right? So, and computers can be amazing for kids and amazing for kids' brains. The only thing is, is that the science is, and the science is a little inconclusive as far as the amount of time. Generally what's considered safe is before kids are 18 months old, they shouldn't do any screen time unless they're, talking to a family member on FaceTime or something, but it literally affects kids' brain development when they, when they are watching TV or doing something on a screen or whatever before they're 18 months old. So no screens for kids before they're 18 months old. And I feel like that's not really publicized enough. A lot of parents don't know that. It literally affects 
kids brain development and makes their and makes their brain development slower. Mm-hmm. Now here's the good news. If one of your listeners has already had their kids and they're going, you know, doing screen time and they were younger than 18 months and they can be, oh no, I already did that. Um, the other thing that's great is that kids brains are really plastic. And we used to think they were just malleable, but what we know now, we used to think that you got a certain amount of brain cells and how we became the people we become is by our brains paring away what we don't use. All that's still true, but we didn't used to think that brain cells replicated themselves very much. Um, And then they stopped replicating themselves when we were a certain age. And it turns out that's not true. (laughs) It turns out that our, our neurons, our nerve cells, and all the glial cells, the white cells that are around all the neural pathways, for protection. It turns out they all communicate together. They're not only just for protection. So the glial cells actually communicate via chemicals and the elect- and the neurons communicate via electricity. But all that stuff is connected and our cells replicate themselves. So if your child started out with too much screen time, you can cut off the screen time now and play little games like add a move that we just did and we got the beat that we just talked about and they can catch up in no time. Mm. So, so when they're little, they can catch up pretty quickly. And here's another thing, our brains are not totally developed even until now scientists think in our mid to late twenties. So if it's, it's crazy because people used to not even live that long. They used to get married at 16, (laughs) have babies at 18 and 20 and, you know, and then they die by the time they were 38, you know, and they were considered old if they were in their 40s. Well, things have really changed since then. And now we know that brains develop until we're in our mid, tw- mid to late 20s. So, um, and that's good and bad news. If you're doing a lot of, you know, not so healthy things with your kids, like if your kids are, so let's finish with screen time. So before they're 18 months old, no screen time. 18 months to five, they can take one hour. Now, most of us, you know, even me, you know, I, I, my kids watch Sesame street and, um, where in the world is Carmen San Diego or something, you know, (laughs) a couple of PBS shows, even that's more than an hour. And what we found is kids that engage in more screen time than an hour before they're five years old, their brains are still in a developmental process and it actually adversely affects their brain development. Hmm. So we want to keep kids until they're five years old from doing any screen time more than two hours in a day. And that's cumulative time. There are all kinds of studies now to back this up. Now, after five, that's where the studies get messy. (laughs) (laughs) Because we can't find a control group because there aren't any kids who are not using screens unless they're like the Amish or, you know, uh, a remote tribe in Africa or Papua New Guinea or, you know, something like that. So we can't, which their cultures and their living are too different to even be part of a control group. What we know so far, so there's a longitudinal study going on right now um, that will be Um, at least 10 to 15 years that the National Institute of Health is putting on right now, but they're only about five years through it. So we don't know exactly. What we do know that's safe for kids so far is about two hours of screen time, cumulative screen time a day is safe for them. So, and they, and they do admonish parents to pay attention to what they're doing for that two hours because screens definitely affect our kids. Um, For example, I have a great story about this. When our kids were little, my older daughter started just talking to us terribly, my husband and I so disrespectfully, and we were not raising them like that. It was just like, where are you getting this? And she said, well, you, I learned all these things from you because blah, 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 you know, and, and we were just like, and she was maybe nine at the time. And we said, we don't talk to you that way. You are not getting this right. Yes, I am. La, 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 la. Oh, oh, it's terrible. And so my husband and I talked later and thought, 
you know, we don't know where she's getting this, but, and, and she's out of control. And we always had to be very careful anyway, because she had other challenges, which she's very successful doing extremely well now in her late twenties. She's a software engineer and leads a team of engineers and does a lot of training. I mean, she's wonderful now, but raising her was a little, was a little tricky. (laughs) So, and the, and the point I'm making is that we, I was doing something in the kitchen. My husband was doing something in the office and we heard the kids watching a TV show that we thought was totally benign. It was on the Disney channel. And we heard the exact disrespectful words that the kids were saying to each other and to the parents. Hmm. And we went, whoa, my husband came out of the office. I came out of the kitchen. We all, you know, because we all heard it at once. And even our little, our younger daughter said, that's where it is. (laughs) And we banned um, TV for our kids from, um, from Sunday night to Thursday night. So school nights, and then they could watch shows on the weekend. And we actually let them watch more than an hour because we didn't know yet. Um, Well, they were watching about two hours by then, I guess, um, because they were older than five. Anyway, but the point is, is that we didn't end up with homework problems. She didn't, we didn't have problems with how they were talking to each other or talking to us. That one small change in our home, it it was like night and day. I, I just can't even tell you. And it was hard because it meant that, you know, we were playing more board games. We were reading more books. We were, you know, we had to be a little more intentional and that's hard for parents because this is such a busy, crazy world. Um, but what we know right now so far is that about two hours of screen time is safe for kids from five all the way through 18. We know that when they do a lot of screen time, like six or seven hours in a day, and they do that fairly regularly, it actually causes addiction. Mm. So it actually causes a dopamine dump Mm -hmm. that is similar to what happens in drug addiction. And they can actually track it on an MRI. So, so, you know, that's what we know about the science, although we don't know exactly conclusive. We just know that about two hours so far, we know that's safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important to address, especially even just the addiction topic, because I think, you know, I think about my age, people, (laughs) my generation, whatever you want to call it. I didn't get a cell phone until college, you know? So at that point, my brain was probably pretty, you know, almost fully developed. Um, I did have screen time growing up. I did watch TV, but I was always busy with other things. I played with toys and I'm seeing this new generation TV screens. They are a convenient babysitter. I get it (laughs) because it's convenient for me too. Uh, But I I just wonder about that long-term. I don't think we will know the long-term impact that these little tiny handheld screens, you know, will have on kids being exposed to them from basically birth because moms are breastfeeding, watching her shows on her phone, you know, whatever it is, right? Like these kids are, are just around it all the time from birth. And I say that because I'm watching this experiment play out in my own kids. And it's, it's just, it is something I'm concerned about because there are so many unknowns, so many things we don't know about it. Well, and I think it's just like moderation in all things. And, and I think we can kind of feel if we're paying attention, we have to be intentional and be paying attention. And if we're paying attention, we can tell when our kids are, are spending too much time on screens, you know, and we can tell when their behavior changes a little, when they're, when they're spending mm-hmm. a lot of time on screens, right? And when their behavior's changing, that's, that's a, big, a, a big, huge red flag right? So, so if we notice behavior changes, then that's a time to turn it off here. So do you know what the number one thing parents can do? Anyone can do to raise successful kids across culture. It doesn't matter how much money you make, where you come from, what your culture is, what you, what country you live in. None of that matters. Number one thing. Any idea? No. It's two-way conversations with Mm -hmm. your kids. There have been two longitudinal studies Mm -hmm. where they've crunched data from studies worldwide and found that two-way conversation with your kids. That's why these games, when I wrote Brain Stages and I included all these games for parents to play to fill in their gaps, you know, so that 
these are the things that your kids are supposed to learn in kindergarten all the way through fifth grade so that they would know and here are games to play so you can fill in those gaps because what I had found in my research was that's the number one thing. If you talk to your kids and they talk to you, it's two-way conversations. It's not wow. just you talking at your kids. That's why in the Brain Stages Parent Empowerment Journey, the digital course with weekly group coaching, there are 12 um, little shifts in communication that I teach parents that they're just like, oh my gosh, Trish, this is magic. And it's not magic at all. And I didn't make a lot of them up. I mean, sometimes I modified them a little. Now I know what I relate brain research to why these things work, but they're just little shifts in communication. For example, have you ever had your kids, um, you say, how was your day? And they say, fine. And they walk away. <laughs> yeah. Right. So instead of saying, how was your day? When they walk in, if you say, hey, good to see you. And then tell them what you notice on their face. Wow. You look thoughtful or you look happy or you look frustrated. Whatever you see on their face and then just be quiet. They will talk to you. They'll explain because once there is a break in the conversation, they will feel the need, it's a human thing. They will feel the need to fill in the gap and they will want to explain what you see on their face. Does like that make that. sense? Yeah. So yeah. I'm just, so I'm just, and that's a natural thing that, that because we fill things in naturally in our brain. So that's a natural thing that happens. So if we just say, hey, good to see you, make them feel welcome and then tell them what we see, they will fill in the gap and they'll talk to us. And there, there are 12 of those just little shifts in communication that make all the difference, no matter how old your kids are. Yeah. Ooh, that's, I love, that's so good. And I, because I have, it's funny because I have my kids, surprise, surprise, my kids are all different, right? I have three kids. <laughs> right. And they're all different in their, in their communication style. You know, my oldest, she's more inward. It is really hard to, and it's funny to me because I always think, oh, she's a girl. So she should be more talkative. Or, nope. She's my inward one. You know, can't generalize. No. And then, my middle child, he's, he really likes to talk about emotions. He's only seven, but he will really, he's done a great job of digging into his emotions. My little one just likes to talk about the rainbow house he lives in. He's got his whole made up world. That's <laughs> that so cool. How old about. is he? He's, he's almost five, but Aww. yeah, he has a rainbow house and he ha I mean, his mom is Mystique, the one from X-Men, you know, his dad is yeah. Wolverine. I'm like, what is going on with this? And like, and then he has a brother and sister, just like he does in real life. But it's just this funny projection of his real life into his rainbow house. <laughs> and so I don't know. So it's like, so I try to engage in at dinner time. We really try to be intentional about what were your highs and lows of the day, but what are some other conversational? Cause I, I love the idea of just, Hey, you look thoughtful and having them, or you look happy, or you look like, you know, you're in a good mood today or, or whatever it is. I, I like the fill in. That's, that's a really good tip. What are some other ways to engage kids in conversation? If say like my firstborn who she's almost out of the house, but to, to engage the kids that are more inward and just don't volunteer a lot of information. So we were talking about anxiety and, and depression, which is rampant right now. One of the things that we know that's huge that we used to do in our family at the dinner table. So first, it's really good to have at least one meal together. And because that's when you can regroup. Ours was dinner because both my husband and I worked during the day. So, um, so ours was dinner, but at least one meal today. And we would go around the table and everybody would talk about their day, what happened in their day. And we could ask questions and, and whatever. And they would tell us about their day because that did several things. One, it made it so that, I mean, we would never even have known, especially when our kids were teenagers, we never would have known what was going on had we not had those conversations at dinner. We could also help them work out emotional issues with friends and communication issues and things that were happening with teachers at school and all kinds of other things because they got in the habit of talking about their day. The other thing we did that I've coached a lot of parents to do too, especially when, you know, because a lot of parents have been going through this anxiety, depression thing, is talking about something they're grateful for mm. at the table. And, you know, people will say, oh, that's silly. And, you know, or I don't have anything to be grateful for. Really? Do you know that, you know, maybe two thirds of the planet doesn't really have much to eat for dinner tonight? And I know you're used to having something to eat for dinner. 
but a lot of people don't. And, you know, and just kind of looking into that so that our kids learned about things to be grateful for because gratitude actually changes the chemicals in our brains. It actually causes the secretion of dopamine and oxytocin. The other thing is when kids share or do something for someone else or when any of us share or do something for someone else, it literally changes the chemistry in our brains. So I, I would say other conversation starters, not only everybody talking about their day, but everybody talking about something they're grateful for. If you're having problems with your um, relationships, you know, inner relationships, there's a lot of arguing between siblings or, or between parents or whatever. One of the things I found that I've worked with a lot of clients on is to have each person at the dinner table, at least once or twice a week, tell other people at the dinner table something they've done that week that they appreciate. And a lot of times it's normal things that, oh, they should do it anyway. Well, just because somebody should do something anyway, doesn't mean you can't appreciate it. Like, I'm really grateful that you did the laundry mom because I had clean clothes to wear. Or I'm really grateful that you taught me how to use the laundry. You taught me how to use the washer and dryer so now I can wash my own clothes. Or, you know, what it is. I'm really grateful that you cook such a nice dinner because I was really hungry and this tastes great. Whatever it is, if kids learn to actually focus a little bit more on what they're grateful for, it can change. It, it just causes huge changes, just those small things that something you're grateful about someone else and something you're grateful just about life. And you don't have to do the same gratitude things every day at dinner but do some kind of gratitude, something every day at dinner. And then, and your kids will balk at first, you know, Oh, that's dumb. But you know what, when you start appreciating them and saying, I really appreciate this specific thing about you. Wow. Does that cause changes in the brain? Even for children who have experienced trauma, I've worked with hmm. um, parents who are foster parents and working with foster kids. And by definition, most of those kids have experienced trauma mm -hmm. and to tell them things specifically that they appreciate in those kids is huge, huge for healing. Yeah. Ooh, I, that's, yeah, I, that's great because I do know um, that's an issue. You know, we do sometimes feel like when we have kids who have experienced trauma, like, oh, they're stuck. There's no, how can we get them out of this? You know, I think there are parents that do start to feel stuck, even with their kids that maybe haven't experienced significant trauma, they're just struggling with anxiety, depression, whatever it is. It's a very stuck feeling for parents. And so what, what are some things you would say that um, even parents could do for their own mental health, you know, in order or to model for kids? Oh my gosh, I have this. Okay. So the first module of my course is all about, is all about mindfulness and how to get your own head right. Right. We call it rebooting your brain. It's a mental reboot, literally. Mm -hmm. And so what I have parents do is when they start, so our bodies without, we can't get into it too much. It goes much more into it to finding out where that comes from and whatever in the course, but just for, just for now, our bodies warn us through the sympathetic nervous system. So in the brainstem, our bodies warn us before we're supposed, before we're getting into fight, flight, or, or freeze. So we'll get a hollowness in our chest or a tightness in our shoulders, or I, I have some clients where their jaws get tight or they clench their fists without even realizing they've, but once you become conscious of whatever that physical warning is, I have parents take a deep breath, count in, in two, three, four, two, three, four, you know, a yoga breath and think of a physical anchor. So for me, it's my feet, I'm tall. <laughs> so whether I'm standing or sitting, I can feel my feet on the floor, but I have other parents who um, feel their hands on their thighs or they consciously relax their shoulders or whatever it is, choose a physical anchor because what that does is it gets, get your, gets your mind out of the emotion centers, out of the limbic system in your brain and into your frontal lobes for thinking. So you're into the here and now you're into the prefrontal cortex where you can think. Because if you're stuck in your limbic system and your emotion system and your kids are the same way, they can't learn, you can't think. Once you're in that emotion system, you can't do anything. 
So if you take that deep breath and find a physical anchor and tell yourself something short, for me, it's, I can do this. Um, I have another parent that says, I deserve peace. I have another parent that says, I got this, which is almost the same, um, but you know, more vernacular, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they say, I got this. So, so there, and a whole bunch more, those are just off the top of my head. But the point is, so you feel that physical feeling, inhale, exhale, think of that physical anchor, say a quick something to yourself that gets you out of those emotion centers and into the thinking centers of your brain. And if you teach your kids to do that, so you doing that and practicing that for a while will make a huge difference in your life. If you teach your children to do that too, especially if they have anxiety or depression, any of those things, you help them figure out how to get out of the emotion centers of their brain and into the thinking centers. And and even if they've had trauma, this is really helpful for kids who have trauma. And it takes about 90 seconds to work through the cortisol and other hormones Mm -hmm. in in your brain in the limbic system when you're in fight, flight, or flee or entering fight, flight, or flee. But if you catch it quickly, if you don't catch it, it can last 20 minutes. If you catch it with that first physical feeling, you can work through that, those chemicals in 90 seconds. So you just take a few more deep breaths. So once you've been through that process and take a few more deep breaths, and if you can't remember the rest of it, just take deep breaths for 90 seconds. It's about 10 to 12 deep breaths. That's, and, yeah. then, and then you can think again. And if you teach that to your kids, I, I mean, these, these little things we're talking about, Aaron, they are game changers. They Absolute are game changers. Game changers. Yeah. yeah, and they're free. <laughs> and they're free. Right. <laughs> right. Actually, we're finding, especially with kids who have experienced trauma, medication really doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Even if it works for a short time, it doesn't work for long-term success. Mm-hmm. Whereas these things that I'm talk to you, talking to you about, we have so much empirical evidence that yeah. they work and they're, and they're not chemicals. And, you know, because because for trauma, trauma is happening in the limbic system and the emotion centers and in the brainstem, it actually causes physical changes to your body. Mm-hmm. So it's not in, so you can do all the cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT you want, and it's, and it's good to learn where the origins are, but when you go through those traumatic, you know, whatever those reactions are in your body, you're, you're not going to be able to change them with cognitive behavioral therapy because you're not in the thinking centers. Does that yeah. make sense? Whereas these other little things that I'm telling you to deal with anxiety and depression, those directly affect motion centers and the brainstem to, to literally reboot your brain and reboot your body so you can think and function. Yeah, that's so important. It's so important for people to understand. I think the awareness is growing, which is very exciting, but I wasn't, when I first started struggling with my mental health as a young teen, it was related to trauma, but I know, I didn't know these things. I mean, I liked dancing, cheerleading, you know, I was involved in activities, which probably was helpful for me, you know, as far as that, because again, we store trauma, like you're saying, we store it in our physical bodies, it affects our physical bodies. So I think that helped, but I had a lot of immune system issues. I had a lot of gut health issues. You know, I had a lot of things that were probably affecting even the creation of neurotransmitters and B12 and all these things in my gut. So my brain, while maybe putting me on an SSRI, maybe it helped for a time. If I wasn't producing serotonin to begin with, you know, that, that creates a problem for what's, what is going to be reuptaked. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word, but you know what I'm saying? Um, no, I so know what you meant. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a hard, that is a, a really hard thing. I think the research that we're seeing now is, is it's like, okay, we need new tools. We need new tools, new solutions. And I love that you bring that up. I think it's so important that trauma needs to be addressed physically to the body and even in anxiety and depression, it shows up physically in the body and, and a lot of movement, like going back to movement, hydration, <laughs> I think for right. adults, gosh, how many adults would benefit? Because so many adults, we reach for the cup of coffee before we reach for the water. So what is that doing for and, our brain? And I'm guilty too. I'm holding up a cup of coffee I've right got now. got mine with me. Yeah. <laughs> and I ran five miles this morning. So I also have a water bottle and, mm-hmm. and I have to be much more intentional because I like coffee better than water. Tastes better. So I have to be very intentional about making sure I drink enough water. 
because, you know, when, here's the thing, a lot of times when your kids are talking about um, their stomachs bothering them, or they have a headache, or they seem really tired or kind of dingy after school, or just in the afternoon, if you're homeschooling or whatever, a lot of times they just need a drink of water because they're, all of their cells have deflated, especially in their brains, because they don't have enough water to keep them going. And we are, our brains are 73% water. So when we get low on water, it's just like a dry sponge trying to clean a counter with a dry sponge, right? Doesn't work very well. Yeah. So if we can just you know, and, and it's like that for adults too. I mean, all these things I'm saying for kids, because I feel like a lot of times we'll do things for our kids that we won't do for ourselves. But if we're doing them for our kids anyway, then we will get a drink of water. If we're having our kids work out for 10 minutes in the morning anyway, we will work out with them for 10 minutes because kids don't do things that we don't model very well. So if we're modeling those things anyway, and then we go, holy mackerel, I could have felt this good for a long time. I can't even tell you how many parents tell me that all the time. This is so simple, Trish. I should have known this. And I say, uh, 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 you're not allowed to do that because we don't know what we don't know. Just because right. something is simple. If you didn't know it, you didn't know it. Now you do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, you know, and no better do better. Right. Isn't that the saying? Right. And, and just making these small shifts in your routine you know, at first you have to be really intentional, but if you sit down with your kids, oh, in fact, on my website, I also have a problem solving mini course that normally it's like $19 or something um, that's free right now. And no matter when you play this podcast or listen to the podcast, you can get a hold of me on the contact Trish at the brainstages.com. I'll give you a code and you can get it for free. I really believe in this thing. It's a six step problem solving process to do with your kids that's really intuitive. Once you watch the video and you go through the steps, you can print out what the steps are um, because it's on a PDF. You can just go through the steps with your kids and have them be part of your solution. So if you want to start changing these little things in your routine, this is a really easy way to do it, to go through it. And the thing that's really exciting is after you do this problem solving thing with your kids for a while, you'll notice them doing it with their friends. <laughs> it's amazing. And how amazing to know how to work things out and come up with solutions, be problem solvers, and in a positive way that makes everybody feel like part of a community and on the same team, like it's teamwork. Um, what a gift to give to your kids. And, and, and we'll do things for our kids, not necessarily for ourselves, right? And, um, and it really helps adults too. So I've had parents say to me, you know, I did this with my kids and I started just kind of naturally doing it with my coworkers. And they're like, things are going so much better at work. It's, it's a crack up because all these things we're talking about, it's, it's how our brains function and learn mm-hmm. and work, right? So if we're doing these things with our kids, it all, you know, it all applies to our brains too. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh, that, that's, that's good. I love that. I will definitely make sure I mention that in the show notes that that's available. And where, where can people find you, your website, um, your book, brain stages, all of that, where's a great place to contact you for anybody who wants to dive more into what you're doing? Um, just go to the brainstages.com. There are all kinds of free resources on the brainstages.com. And if you want to get a hold of me directly, there's a contact page, but just Trish at the brainstages.com. Um, and the brainstages is all one word, no capitals. It's just, you know, <laughs> because, because that's, I mean, you'll find out anything, a lot of the events coming up, you know, various things that are going on, classes, you know, courses that are available. Because, and I wanted to close with, this is, can I read this text from my daughter? Yes, yes, absolutely. So my daughter, so my daughter and I, in the beginning, how she is the one that I started all this with, because when she was seven years old, I lost it with her. I mean, I caused an adverse childhood experience for her. <laughs> <laughs> she had, she was, mom, where'd you put my homework? And I had just asked her to put it away. And then she accused me of losing it and was yelling at me and talking to me terribly. And I, I just 
lost my mind. I started screaming at her and picked up all her stuff and said, you can have it back when she tried to get it back for me. Anyway, we had this Russell, it, it was awful. And that's when I decided, okay, I am going to figure out how to use how my daughter's brain works because she had attention issues. She is not deficient, nor is she disordered. I just have to figure out how her brain works. Mm -hmm. And, and she's incredibly successful now. And She's given me several of these love texts, but she knows she's the one who encouraged me to coach other parents. She said, mom, I have other friends who have attention issues and, and whatever, and they are struggling as adults and I'm flying. You have to coach other parents. So she's, she was my, she's always been my muse in this anyway. <laughs> <laughs> and she says in a text, she says, I don't know if I've ever properly thanked you for this, but when I was really little, you taught me in an extremely effective way how to slow down enough to speed up learning. It's something that's made me resilient, patient, and fast when it comes to learning. These skills are something most people have to find and learn as adults if they want to go somewhere in software engineering, and because she's a software engineer. And I had that built in because I was lucky enough to have you as a mom. Sorry, I read this a bunch of times, it still mm -hmm. chokes me up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she says, you're great at understanding how people learn in a compassionate and intellectual way in, almost, in an almost supernatural sense. I found it so profoundly helpful in my adult life. And I've seen other people who weren't as privileged struggle with slowing down to speed up to really fight in their adult life with this principle. I know you're teaching parents and kids, and this is the main thing I can attribute my success to. So thank you for putting in the effort to make sure we were good at slowing down to speed up. <laughs> that anyway, is awesome. I mean, can you imagine getting that from your kid who you caused an adult, I mean, an inverse childhood experience? <laughs> I mean, it took us a long time yeah. to get through that for her to trust me again, because I, yeah. I love, and I thought, you know, I've taught for decades. I've worked with all ages of kids from preschool all the way through high school. How did I lose it with my own child? <laughs> yeah. um, so that was what started the, you know, research and talking to mm -hmm. neurologists and pediatricians and reading all the studies and you know you get the idea <laughs> that's great and I, and I think it's, it's it is interesting how our own struggles typically are what drive us to do the things that we do to help others and and that's really cool I guess you're we're just going to have to do a part two where you explain that story more because I think I wish I would have asked that in the beginning that that was really um, a neat piece to the puzzle of why you do what you do and I love hearing that just the that side, the parenting side of things, you know, I think that that's, that's important. So thank you so much for being on the show. We will have to have you on again. This was really helpful. And I know it's going to help so many parents and teachers, caregivers, all of that. Well, well, thanks for having me. Cause I, I mean, as you can tell, I'm really passionate about all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was great. It's going to be very helpful. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.